This is the Hour of Doom. And Bloom. That's right, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Podcast, a nook of nicety in a not-so-nice world. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of the award-winning survival website, doomandbloom.net. And I'm Amy Alton, also known as Nurse Amy. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. I'm purveyor of quality medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. She's so sharp, she's been cited for cruelty to animals. <laughs> Balloon animals, that Balloon is. Balloon animals. <laughs> <laughs> well, should I tell them you always make those for me? <laughs> No, not really. Put them on your head. On this show, you're going to get the conventional medical wisdom, the unconventional medical wisdom, and if today's not your lucky day, raves and rants from an old geezer we keep chained to the radiator. I'm (laughs) kidding. That's me. And there's no chains. Just some twine works just fine. (laughs) Whatever it takes to get your family medically prepared for tough times, we'll do it. But to hear all this great information, first you got to listen to this. All information and opinions voiced on the Survival Medicine Podcast are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. We strongly urge our audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Or don't. You probably think things are peachy keen. No rioters in the streets. Or are there? Oh. <laughs> At any one time, I'll bet there are. I, th- I think there these days. Every week, there's yeah. something. <laughs> yep, there's something new. Something to complain about. And that's right. I'd like to know what happens, guys, out there. If the hospitals are out of commission and there's nowhere else to turn, who's going to deal with illness and injury? Don't look at me. I'm just a piano player. It's you, Captain Oblivious. So you better get off your duff and learn some stuff and maybe even get some medical supplies. Amy, do you know where to find some? Yes, store.doomandbloom.net. That's right. Before I get going here, I just want to mention that the new fourth edition of the Survival Medicine Handbook, greatly expanded and revised, ranks 4.8 out of 5 on Amazon. That's over 1,400 different reviews and is still number one in all its categories. If you haven't checked out our greatly expanded new book, check the black and white version out on Amazon or the color version at store.doomandbloom.net. Which, by the way, is now also available not only in paperback, but in spiral. I'm going to get those any day so you can pre-order the spiral bound full color book. Yes. Why do people love spiral bound Because you can open it flat. That's ah, why. I see. So if you've got to do something something you can open it while you're doing it huh there you're you go a, you're a genius <laughs> this is our first spiral bound book ever. awesome awesome well it's summer and a lot of folks are heading into the great outdoors and well they should in a disaster or any other situation that knocks us off the grid however we're going to be exposed to a lot more things like insect stings poison ivy all sorts of strange food items things we're not accustomed to Being in contact with all this stuff may cause allergic reactions in susceptible individuals. When we develop an allergic reaction, it might be mild or it might be severe. Now, if it's severe enough, we refer to it as anaphylaxis or anaphylactic shock. Anaphylaxis is the word used for serious and rapid allergic reactions involving one or more parts of the body, which can become life-threatening. I'm talking about life-threatening reactions, not life-threatening parts of the body. (laughs) The word used for preventive protection is called Prophylaxis. Think of a condom. It's also known as a prophylactic. A condom protects you from sexually transmitted disease, so it's pro-protection for you. The word anaphylaxis, therefore, means antiphylaxis, or the opposite of protection, harm. Anaphylactic reactions were first identified when researchers tried to protect dogs against a certain poison by desensitizing them with small doses. But instead of being protected, many of the dogs died suddenly, not the first, 
but the second time they got the poison. The dog experiment allowed scientists to understand that the same can happen in humans, later found to be related to our immune response. Severe allergic reactions may cause body-wide reactions, and they can be life-threatening. Because of the increased number of cases being reported throughout the world, we can expect the family medic to possibly be confronted with someone who has the reaction even in normal times. The likely causes of anaphylaxis include things like drugs, including antibiotics like penicillin, anesthetics, aspirin, ibuprofen, even some heart and blood pressure medicines can cause anaphylactic reactions. Plus dyes, by the way, injected during x-rays, they also can do that. Foods like peanuts, tree nuts, fruit, seafood, those are common causes for anaphylactic reactions. Bees, yellow jacket wasps, fire ants, other insects can cause it. Uh, Latex, rubber gloves made of latex, especially in healthcare workers, certainly can cause it. And believe it or not, exercise can cause this. Some people can be allergic to exercise. I'll bet you might say every so often that you are, or at least the exertion associated with it. If it's going to happen, it usually occurs after eating. And then, of course, there's idiopathic. What's idiopathic? The word idiopathic means of unknown cause. In a substantial percentage of cases of anaphylaxis, you actually never find out why it happened. When drugs are the cause, the explanation is likely that we're simply using a lot of them these days. Why food should be causing anaphylaxis more often, however, that's a little more perplexing. Is genetic manipulation of food crops to blame? Could contaminants be an issue or perhaps pollution in general? In any case, the cause of many anaphylactic reactions is just never identified. Although few die from simple allergic reactions, anaphylaxis is much more severe. Without intervention, the victim can indeed die from respiratory or even cardiac arrest. Body-wide swelling and rashes far from the site of a bee sting, for example, would be an example of an anaphylactic reaction. So if you get stung on the arm and your lips start swelling, that could be an anaphylactic reaction starting up. Other symptoms would be exaggerated versions of typical allergy symptoms, with perhaps the addition of blood pressure drops and fainting. That can happen too. In some cases, abdominal tract symptoms like cramping or diarrhea could even be seen. The treatment for anaphylactic shock is pretty straightforward. Epinephrine via injection. By the way, epinephrine is also known as adrenaline. And that's the actual brand name in or brand or generic name in Europe and some other countries. Other methods of delivery such as oral doses or antihistamines. Remember the epinephrine is an injection. They're generally too slow in their effect to be of much use. Primatine mist sprayers or asthma inhalers may have some effect, but remember that many people with anaphylaxis have spasms of their windpipe, have problems breathing, right? So the inhalers and sprays may actually not get to where they're needed. Let's talk a little bit more about epinephrine. Epinephrine is given via auto-injector, with the most popular brand being Myland Corporation's EpiPen. Another brand is AuviQ, A-U-V-I hyphen Q, and it's also available in generic equivalents. The process is simple with a dose given to the upper outer thigh. Now, once given, the epinephrine narrows blood vessels and opens airways in the lungs. So it has various different effects. These effects have the result of decreasing things like hives, itching and swelling, calming, wheezing, and supporting blood pressure. The problem with brand names like EpiPen is the price. There was a 600% price increase a few years ago from the company, pretty sudden, that made the EpiPen out of the reach a financial reach of many. There's no getting around it. If you have severe food allergies, you really need to keep some kind of epinephrine, preferably an auto-injector, with you at all times. But if you don't have health insurance, or even if you do have insurance but carry a huge deductible, you might wonder how you're going to pay for this very necessary drug, which can cause more than 600 bucks for a two-pack. Unfortunately, these injectors aren't cheap. And you may need more than one, say one to keep at school or another to keep at home for a child, or you may even need two doses for a very severe anaphylactic reaction. 
Luckily, there are some options for people without health insurance who have insurance with large deductibles to obtain medicine like the EpiPen. Here are some options you can pursue to help pay for the epinephrine if you find that you need financial help. Depending on your situation, these options may reduce the cost and even enable you to get these medications sometimes for free. Of course, if you have an allergist, you might ask them. Allergists sometimes receive samples of these medications from the companies that make them. If your financial situation makes it difficult for you to afford EpiPens and other medicines like it, an allergist might be able to give you a sample for free or may be able to help you locate a discounted source. Do make sure, however, that you check the expiration date on anything you get this way as the devices may have been sitting on the shelf for a while. Even so, a study on expired EpiPens from 2018 found that products that expired even as far as three years prior still retained up to 80% of their potency. In other words, don't throw them out. Even the company recommends keeping them and using them if fresh materials aren't available. There are state prescription assistance programs in some areas. Most states offer some help with regards to prescriptions, usually more than one targeted to people of different disabilities and ages and maybe financial situations. You can do a Google search for your state or check out a website like NeedyMeds, N-E-E-D-Y-M-E-D-S, to select a plan that's based on your particular situation. In many cases, you can apply for federal or state-sponsored insurance. If your income is low, you may be eligible for subsidized insurance through the healthcare marketplace at healthcare.gov. In some cases, your copayment and deductibles will be covered as well. That's pretty good, especially if you have a very low income. You can consider applying for Medicaid, which is something that exists in, I think, almost every state. Then, of course, there are pharmaceutical company assistance programs. Mylan, by the way, the manufacturer of EpiPen, and Kaleo, which makes AbiQ, each offer prescription assistance programs to provide EpiPens or epinephrine in some way to consumers who can't otherwise afford them. In some cases, the manufacturers can get you epinephrine for free. To participate in these programs, of course, you'll need to email or call the manufacturers, request help in paying for your prescription, which is usually delivered not to you personally, but to your healthcare provider. Patients uh, in programs like this usually have to be U.S. citizens or legal residents and complete a patient assistance form with their healthcare provider. Eligible patients in a lot of these cases need to have a yearly income that's less than 400% of the current federal poverty guidelines based on family size and must meet other requirements regarding insurance status. You can actually contact MyLan Customer Relations, that's for EpiPen, at 800-395-3376. For AbiQ, it's 877-30-AUVIQ. I haven't gotten the numbers for that. I haven't translated that. I'm just too old. Of course, at our discount pharmacy websites, such as GoodRx, they allow you to obtain your prescriptions at discount prices that are similar to the prices that, let's say, a large insurer would pay for the same drug. They also allow you to compare cash prices and discounted prices for nearby pharmacies to help you choose which pharmacy you prefer to use. And of course, there is generic. As prices of epinephrine auto-injectors soar, generics may be just what you need. There is a generic called AdrenaClick, which retails at CVS pharmacies for about, I don't know, about 110 to 140 bucks. Other pharmacies, too, will have it, of course, and will be in probably in the same price range. When you include a coupon available from the manufacturer sometimes, well, that can lower the price of these injectors pretty significantly. If you decide to take this alternative, by the way, make sure to ask the pharmacist for a training session on how to use the device. It may not be exactly the same as the prescription version, let's say EpiPen or AbiQ. If the auto-injector is just not going to be an option for you, vials or ampules of epinephrine are available also by prescription. A 1 to 1,000 epinephrine solution contains 1 milligram of drug per milliliter or cc of solution. 
If you weigh 30 kilograms, 66 pounds, or greater, you give 0.3 to 0.5 milligrams. That's 0.3 to 0.5 milliliters, since one milligram of drug equals one milliliter of solution. You put that into the front upper aspect of the thigh, about the level of the bottom of, let's say, your jeans pocket. Repeat the dose every 5 to 10 minutes, alternating left and right thighs until you notice an improvement. One dose is usually sufficient and maybe all you need. Remember that epinephrine can cause a fast heartbeat, nervousness, and perhaps a number of other side effects. And of course, get the person to modern medical care as soon as possible if it exists. I want to talk a little bit about something called the hygiene hypothesis. You know, the increased number of allergies seen in the modern world may be the product of, believe it or not, good parenting. Our efforts to keep our children with their noses wiped and their hands clean, it's helpful to stop colds and flus, but may be a factor in making them more prone to allergies and infections later on. In 1989, there was a researcher named Dr. David Strachan. He suggested the hypothesis that the failure of children to be exposed to infectious bugs and parasites at a young age may be responsible for the epidemic of allergic conditions like asthma. This is known as the hygiene hypothesis, that there is a relationship to the lack of exposure to microbes to diseases ranging from hay fever all the way to multiple sclerosis. When most of us lived in farms or in less than pristine cities, we were exposed to plenty of germs from a young age due to time spent outside with animals or with lots of other people. Now, the majority of kids aren't motivated to go outside at all or certainly get dirty. In the final analysis, never getting dirty as a child may actually be hazardous to your future health. Here are some things you might consider. You want to avoid antibiotics unless they're absolutely necessary. The medical profession may have been remiss in overprescribing antibiotics, but you know that there are antibiotics in food as well. As a matter of fact, 70 to 80% of antibiotics are given to livestock, not to treat infection, but actually to make them grow faster. It seems to make them grow faster, and it gets them to market sooner. So stick with antibiotic-free eggs, milk, and meats if you can. You should avoid antibacterial soaps. Triclosan, which is the active ingredient in some antibacterial soaps has been banned by the FDA due to the risk of antibiotic resistance and the lack of evidence, believe it or not, of any medical benefit. Use regular soap and water for washing. You should tailor your hand washing strategies, by the way, to the situation. If you're in a city where open sewers run through the streets and people are tossing buckets of excrement out the window, well, have your kids wash their hands conscientiously. In clean environments where there isn't a raging epidemic, however, don't freak out over dirty hands. And don't bathe every day. How about that? Not only should your kids be exposed to dirt to develop their immune system, but bathing too often might actually do more harm than good. Daily showers removes protective skin oils and causes drying and irritation. You're also washing away the good bacteria that lives on your skin. So how about that? You might consider giving your kid a pet. Not every kid has the good fortune of living on a farm, so they'll benefit from a furry pet. Dogs seem to give more resistance to colds and allergic skin reactions like eczema than cats, but early cat exposure might actually give more protection against asthma. Why not have both? Have a cat and a dog. And, well, I don't know about cats and dogs in the same house. Uh, they'll get used to each other. One other thing, get your kids outside when they're young. In these days where we have legitimate concerns about children's safety, you might be reluctant to let your kids go outside by themselves. Well, so here's an idea. Go out with them to parks, wilderness areas, other places where both adults and kids can reap real benefits. How about helping them plant and manage a garden? The more you encourage outdoor activities early, the more they become part of the next generation's culture. Let the kids get a little dirty, and you might give them a healthier future. Now a word from our sponsor. 
Ladies, are you tired with all those annoying men hitting on you while you're doing important stuff? What do you do with all these rude dudes who can't take a hint? Enter a convent? Well, before you do, best-selling author Amy Alden, also known as Nurse Amy, wants you to get a copy of her new book, Shut Up and Leave Me Alone or I'll Hit You with a Crowbar Until You're Dead. You'll be glad you did. But believe me, they won't. You know, I'm often approached about what we can do for this or that condition in survival situations where you're knocked off the grid, there's no doctor nor hospital to be found. Well, even if you're medically prepared and have a big stockpile of a conventional medications, hey, you know what? You're going to eventually run out. If you're going to be the family medic in a survival situation, you're going to need to find alternatives if you want to keep your people healthy long term. You may think you're alone in all this, but the government actually has an agency called the NCCIH. That's the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health. It's different from the NIH, the National Institute of Health, which you've heard from many times during the COVID pandemic. The NCCIH is the federal government's lead agency for scientific research on complementary and integrative healthcare approaches. Maybe I should start by discussing some often confused terms. You've all heard the terms alternative medicine, complementary medicine, integrative medicine, holistic medicine, but are they the same thing? Actually, they're sort of different. According to a 2012 national survey, more than 30% of adults use healthcare approaches that are not typically part of conventional medical care or that may have origins outside of usual Western practice. When describing these approaches, people often use the words alternative and complementary interchangeably. They're different. If a non-mainstream approach is used together with conventional medicine, it's considered complementary. If a non-mainstream approach is used in place of conventional medicine, it's considered alternative. Then there's integrative health. Integrative health brings together conventional and complementary approaches in a coordinated way. Integrative health also emphasizes multiple medical interventions. Say you need an amputation. Intervention by integrative medicine would not only use surgery, conventional pain medications, physical rehab, but also psychotherapy and maybe natural supplements to boost your immune system so that you heal better physically and mentally. It might also add complementary health approaches like acupuncture, yoga, and probiotics. The emphasis is on treating the whole person rather than, say, the liver or the heart. Integrative health aims for well-coordinated care among different providers and institutions by bringing conventional and complementary approaches together to care for the whole person. The use of integrative medicine approaches to health and wellness is in full swing these days, with researchers exploring the potential benefits of integrative health in all sorts of situations, including pain management for military personnel and veterans, relief of symptoms in cancer and heart patients, and in rehab programs. Now, in addition to the terms integrative, complementary, and alternative, you may have heard the term functional medicine. This term sometimes refers to a concept similar to integrative health or may closely resemble naturopathy. Naturopathic medicine is a distinct primary healthcare profession, emphasizing prevention, treatment, and optimal health through the use of therapeutic methods and substances that encourage individuals' inherent self-healing properties. The practice of naturopathic medicine includes modern and traditional scientific and empirical methods, but evolves from a combination of traditional practices and healthcare approaches popular during the 19th century. Now, some confuse naturopathic medicine with homeopathic medicine. Homeopathic medicine's philosophy is based on the idea that the body has the ability to heal itself. Homeopathy was founded in the late 1700s in Germany and has been particularly popular in Europe. 
Homeopathic medicine views symptoms of illness as normal responses of the body as it attempts to regain health. A homeopathic health practitioner uses compounds containing only a little of an active ingredient, usually a plant or mineral, for treatment of disease. Officially, you actually don't need a degree to practice homeopathy, but naturopaths are usually trained at accredited naturopathic medical schools and go on to get a degree and license. Every practitioner, whether it be conventional, complementary, alternative, should aim to be holistic. This approach refers to helping individuals, families, or even communities improve and restore their health in multiple ways that interconnect, biological, behavioral, social, environmental, rather than just treating disease. Research is expanding the understanding of the connections between these various aspects of health. Well, that's a lot of terms. I hope it's not too confusing. Complementary approaches can be classified by how the therapy is delivered, which may be nutritionally, for example, special diets, very popular dietary supplements, herbs, probiotics combined with oral conventional meds. Psychological therapy or techniques such as mindfulness, for example, may be helpful. Physically, massage, chiropractic manipulation combined with conventional physical therapy or even surgical methods. Combinations such as psychological and physical things that are combined like yoga, tai chi, acupuncture, dance or art therapy, things like that. These approaches are preferably administered or taught by a trained practitioner or teacher, something the family medic might consider learning before a disaster occurs. Yoga, chiropractic, and osteopathic manipulation, meditation, these are among the most popular complementary health approaches used by adults. Statistics show that the popularity of yoga has grown dramatically in recent years, from 9.5% of U.S. adults to, and that's in 2012, to 14.3% five years later. The 2017 study showed that the use of meditation has increased more than threefold from 4.1% in 2012 to 14.2% in 2017. Additional psychological and physical approaches include relaxation techniques such as breathing exercises, hypnotherapy, among many others. Let's talk about a few of these. Acupuncture may help ease types of pain that are often chronic, such as low back pain, neck pain, and osteoarthritis, knee pain. Acupuncture may also help reduce the frequency of tension headaches and prevent migraine headaches. Meditation may help reduce blood pressure, symptoms of anxiety and depression, symptoms of irritable bowel syndrome, and flare-ups in people with ulcerative colitis. Meditation may also help people with insomnia. Tai Chi appears to help improve balance and stability, reduce back pain and pain from knee osteoarthritis, and improve quality of life in people with heart disease, cancer, and other chronic illnesses. Yoga may benefit people's general wellness by relieving stress, supporting good health habits, and improving mental, emotional health, sleep, and balance. Yoga may also help with lower back pain, neck pain, anxiety, or depressive symptoms associated with difficult life situations, quitting smoking, and quality of life for people with chronic diseases. The amount of research on psychological and physical approaches varies widely, by the way, depending on the practice. For example, researchers have done many studies on acupuncture, yoga, spinal manipulation, and meditation, but there have been fewer studies on some of these other approaches, like mindfulness and things like that. Some complementary approaches may not neatly fit into any of these groups. For example, the practices of traditional native shamans, Ayurvedic Indian medicine, traditional Chinese medicine, and others. Bottom line, don't discount the potential of these complementary and alternative options to help out the medic in survival settings. If the you-know-what hits the fan for long enough, they may be all you have. Hey, here's a segment of our show where I take questions posed to me in the past, often on our friend Jack Spierko's Survival Podcast. If you have questions you'd like to hear me address on the podcast, send us an email at drbonespodcast, drbonespodcast at aol.com. Here we go. 
Hi, Joe Alton, MD here, also known as Dr. Bones of the survival medicine website doomandbloom.net and author of books like the Survival Medicine Handbook, Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease, and Alton's Pandemic Preparedness Guide. Today, I want to talk about lightning. Lightning has received a lot of attention in the news as wildfires in the American West have continued to rage. Most of these wildfires are caused by humans, but lightning strikes have been implicated as the culprits for some of this year's biggest blazes. Many of us associate lightning with rainstorms, but dry lightning appears to be involved in causing the latest fires. Certain storms produce thunder and lightning without any appreciable rain as moisture evaporates before reaching the ground. These kinds of events are not uncommon in drier areas of the country. Let's talk a little bit about lightning. A lightning bolt is a discharge of a large amount of electricity in the atmosphere or between the atmosphere and the ground. Air normally acts to insulate the positive and negative charges that are in clouds. At one point, however, the difference between the two becomes so great that electricity is generated and released. Boom! Many lightning events occur high in the atmosphere within a cloud or maybe from cloud to cloud. That's most, but cloud to ground strikes are more responsible for injuries to humans. In recent years, the United States has reported dozens of annual lightning strike fatalities. Although the death rate from a lightning strike covers around 10%, the grand majority of survivors suffer some form of lasting damage. As an aside, why doesn't lightning strike airplanes? Actually, it does, and actually quite often. Commercial aircraft are designed so that electricity travels through them without any interruption. They're usually struck without experiencing damage. Now, when lightning strikes people, there are a number of ways in which a person may be struck. They can be struck directly. A person struck directly by a lightning bolt is usually out in the open. The electricity moves through the skin and also through the body's cardiovascular and nervous systems. Burns occur on the skin, but cardiac arrest from the current in the body, inside the body, is more likely to cause death. There are also ground strikes. When lightning strikes, say, a tree nearby, energy travels outward along the ground. This is known as ground current. Anyone near a lightning strike could be a victim. Indeed, this form of lightning strike causes the most fatalities and injuries in the world today. There are also side strikes, more commonly known as a side flash. This occurs when lightning strikes a taller object, again, say a tree, near the victim. Some of the current jumps from the original target of the strike to the victim, which is usually just a couple of feet away. This is why you shouldn't take cover under a tree. Then there are conduction strikes. Lightning can travel or be conducted along long distances in wires and other metal surfaces. This helps provide a path for it to travel. If you're in contact with a wire fence and lightning strikes some distance away, you actually might be affected. Inside, anything or anyone connected to wiring, plumbing, or in contact with any metal surface really can serve as a conductor. Then there are what they call streamer strikes. Streamers aren't as common as a cause of lightning injury, but they're still pretty dangerous. As the downward moving electrical charge of the lightning, the called the step leader, approaches the ground, electrical streamers are actually produced that rise from ground-based objects, even a person. If a person is involved, they could be killed or injured, even if the streamer never connected with the step leader, the bottom part of the lightning itself. The effects of lightning on the body are pretty terrible. It can be very lethal, of course, with cardiac arrests or very uh, bad beat patterns, arrhythmias, or respiratory arrest and lung inflammation, but you can also get things like ruptured eardrums and deafness. You can get eye damage, blindness, burns, of course. Mental changes are seen not uncommonly in people long-term. Memory disorders, sleep disorders, 
people experience nerve damage, numbness, pain. In some cases, there are broken bones, internal bleeding. Some people suffer from chronic vertigo, and some people go into a coma and never recover. There are, interestingly enough, distinctive scars that are caused by lightning, and these are called Lichtenberg figures. They form as a result of blood vessel damage, and they look sort of like red lightning scars traveling along the skin. They're very interesting, and they're actually quite beautiful, but they are some things that you really don't want to have. Go get a tattoo. When thunder roars, you need to go indoors if you're going to be safe from lightning. It's important to realize that being outside is dangerous when a thunderstorm is in progress. If you can hear thunder, you're in danger of being hit by lightning for up to 30 minutes after the last rumble. Get inside a sturdy building or at least a metal top vehicle, windows up, as quickly as you can. Strive to avoid being the tallest object in the area. Even when there are taller objects like trees or utility poles, stay away from them. Lightning will likely target them, especially if they're isolated. Avoid touching metal. It doesn't attract lightning, but it conducts it for 100 feet or more, as we mentioned. Once inside, stay off computers and other electrical equipment. Avoid touching plumbing like sinks and faucets. Stay away from doors, windows, and porches. Don't lean against anything metal or concrete. Lightning can travel through any metal wiring and bars that could even be inside your concrete walls or flooring. Treating a lightning victim is very problematic. Cardiac arrest is the most immediate cause of death, and this person needs first aid, therefore, right away. So call for help and begin CPR. If there is an automatic external defibrillator available, use it. Get the victim into a building if possible, by the way, because lightning can strike twice in the same place, depending on the situation. For the remainder of the injuries, treat them as you would burns or other trauma, but realize that some damage is going to be permanent. If you're stuck outside, well... If thunderstorms are in the forecast, please postpone your outdoor activity so you're not stuck outside. There are circumstances, however, where you might be outside and unprepared for a lightning storm. In these cases, leave high ground like ridges or hills. Get away from there. Don't take cover under isolated trees. If you're in the middle of a forest and can't avoid trees, pick some smaller ones to be under. Avoid rocky overhangs or cave entrances as shelters. Someone at the entrance may form a conduit between the cave roof and floor. The same thing goes with the covered porch of a house. Now stay away from lakes, streams, or other bodies of water which conduct electricity very well. Avoid lying flat on the ground, but stay low with as little of your body touching the ground as possible, sort of in a lightning crouch with your, on your toes, but crouch down so you're as low as you possibly can. By the way, don't touch barbed wire fences, power lines, anything else that conducts electricity. If you're in a group, make sure to stay about 10 feet apart. Now, this actually does make an individual more prone to being struck, but lessens the likelihood of multiple casualties and increases the chance of having some uninjured rescuers at hand. Hearing about a person struck by lightning, that may be shocking, but not as much as if you were the victim. Be prepared and make wise choices. Electrical activity in your area. This is Joe Alden, MD, that old Dr. Bones, wishing you the best of health in good times or bad. Thanks for listening. By the way, don't forget that we have an entire line of quality medical kits, some one of a kind, and individual supplies at store.doomandbloom.net. That's store.doomandbloom.net. Check them out and get medically prepared for the uncertain future. You'll be glad you did. Well, that's all the time we have. You've been listening to the Survival Medicine Podcast. For Amy Alton, I'm Joe Alton, that old Dr. Bones, wishing you the best of health in good times or bad. Thanks for listening.
You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week. Thank you.